Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you by Reedley College, educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology, efficient production practices, and food safety. Now here's your hosts of Voices of the Valley, Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson. This is Dennis Donahue, I'm the Director of Western Growers Center of Innovation and the uh, co-host of Voices of the Valley. And I'm joined again by my good friend and partner, Candace Wilson. Candace, how are you today? I'm well. How are you, Dennis? Good. Good to be back with another episode. This one's kind of intimidating because normally we outnumber our guests two to one. This time it's a tie. We're pleased to uh, welcome one. We're going to go to a different part of the world. We haven't been over to Asia yet. We did Latin America in our last episode. And uh, I'm really pleased to welcome Claire Pribula, who is the managing director of Yield Labs Asia Pacific Group, and then one of their investments, and really somebody with a terrific business background to talk about today's topic, which is going to be the supply chain. Uh, Gary Lowe, who is the founder and chairman of Demudo. So both of you, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we all figured out our time zones. You know, this one was a little trickier than most. So uh, we're glad we're able to get together and get our schedules all squared away. Let's jump right in. Claire, you know, we were chatting a little bit before we got on air. I mean, this whole issue of the supply chain, everybody talks about, it. you know, it's constantly in the news. And I'm not, I'm going to stop short of saying, what is it? Because I may have an idea, but I would like you to talk a little bit. And first of all, make sure you take a moment to uh, fill us in on Yield Lab and what you all are doing in uh, Asia Pacific. And then what did you find attractive about supply chain from an investment standpoint? And as we start to visit with Gary, I you know, I know people make a big difference and I'm sure that's part of it, but just talk about the whole supply chain and why that's attractive from an investment standpoint, because it seems to me it's kind of a tough topic. Oh, you're right. And it's a topic that, you know, has been trying to be addressed from a technology perspective for a really long time, like 25 years, as long as I've been in Asia. And before that, it just wasn't called supply chain. So thank you, Dennis and Candice, for having us and greetings from Singapore. A little bit about, you know, my name is Claire Pribula. I'm the managing director of the Lab Asia Pacific. And just a short uh, snort about what we do. We're an early stage ag tech venture capital fund. We're part of a federation of the Lab funds that are based in North America, Europe, Latin America, and Asia Pacific. And, and we're working on Africa now. We have 70 companies across all of our funds. And we're investing seed, Series A, and we have a few Series B. Demuto was for the Lab Asia Pacific Fund, uh, which is the youngest of all the funds, was our first Series A investment. And we selected Demuto for a few reasons. You know, first, as you rightly mentioned, we saw the need to focus on supply chain and traceability, especially in a region where the supply chains are extremely long both ways, export, import. In a perfect world, produce would be sourced locally, but that is just not a reality for most countries or regions. It is a daily challenge. We invested in Demuto pre-COVID, only heightened during COVID to ensure that fresh produce gets from the source to the destination before spoilage and to ensure safe for sale. But produce spoils quickly. It spends half its life in transit. It often does not show signs of spoilage until it's way too late, which causes rejection. There's a lot of whole litany of challenges and waste of money that could have been resolved. And there needs to be one single version of truth for accountability regarding whether it's the temperatures, the shipments, how they're handling, the rightness. Post-harvest technology, really, in our mind's eye as the Yield Lab, is one of three really important things to address. You know, there's uh, robotics and, of course, controlled environment ag, but the whole focus on post-harvest technology is really key. That was one reason. And even after, second reason, after years of focusing on supply chain innovation, that's, you know, finding affordable and drives value across all the constituents of supply chain, it's still a challenge. When we met Gary, he was the first that really gets this. I mean, he's lived it. He's been in it. 
He has was the CEO of Sun Moon, who really he really understands produce and supply chain issues. So his innovation regarding Demoto was very well thought out. We saw the innovation as being highly sophisticated and yet affordable. That's always been the barrier, has been the affordability for all the different constituents of a supply chain. There needs to be a value proposition to everyone. And it's a daily challenge to ensure, you know, for suppliers to ensure fresh produce gets from the source to the destination. That's that's hard enough. But when you start talking about, you know, having adaptability for and, and acceptance by supply chain constituents to make it affordable, whether it's the retailer, the producer, or all the people in between. That was a challenge and Gary was squarely focused on that. We saw the impact Demuto was having on food waste. If the issues are caught at the right time, you know, all food should make it to its final destination and it shouldn't be this horrible race to the bottom, which is on pricing and margins, which is happening right now in, in vegetables and produce. So, you know, you need to make the right parties accountable for issues. We wanted to make sure that we could do that around produce, which is extremely important, and bolster the farmers to know that they can continue profitably to farm what they're farming and not switch to wheat or corn, or even something completely different, solar farming, anything, but you know, vegetable and produce because they can't make money. And Demuto is helping this. And we also saw, lastly, that Gary was building with his platform would drive value to those other people that are involved in the process, such as insurance providers, shippers, as well as the producers and retailers, and ultimately the consumers. So his platform in this short year, he's been able to advance, do as he said, which was to advance innovation, focusing on the e-marketplace. And now very exciting trade finance. So he's delivered on his promise to address issues across all the value chain. And that's what, what makes us happy. Well, Gary, what have you got to say to that? And, well, and, you know, and, and one of the things I do want you to do, you know, Claire mentioned a couple of different hats. So talk a little bit about your career and your journey to DeMuto. And because you strike me knowing a little bit about your background and watching it on YouTube, you're somebody who sees the whole playing field. How did that happen? Thanks, Dennis and Candice. Thank, thanks for the invitation. And thanks, Claire, for the wonderful words and explanation. If you wanted to take my journey into agriculture, it's, it's definitely one of kind of an accidental stepping into from a finance guy to being an agriculture guy. Well, it, was, it was really, the truth was, it was an investment deal where we were looking at a company and it was supposed to be a simple deal. It was a company that was basically growing Fuji apples out of China. They got into financial trouble. We were supposed to do a syndicated deal, bring everybody together and then just you know, asset swap certain things and sell certain assets and then make nice pocket change, right? That, that was the idea, but that was far from it. You know, when I got into the numbers, it was all incorrect. And this was in China and the operations was all chaotic and it was the worst deal I ever had in my life. So I call it my Titanic moment. It was, I either go down with the ship or I basically steer the ship out of troubled waters or basically miss the iceberg. And, and that's what I did, right? I roll up my sleeve. And I, I basically went in and I ran the agriculture company from bottom up, right? And it was tough for someone who's been in finance all my life for 15 years, right? Finance in the sense of economics, political science, uh, did business, never knowing anything about apples and growing apples in a farm. But that was 1,400 hectares of farmland that I had to take over. I had to manage 40,000 metric tons of coal room. And we were doing distribution sales to 22,000 points of sales where our customers was basically selling the apples. So if you ask me about the question about the playing field, I guess that's really not just thrown into a playing field, but I felt I was thrown into a deep ocean and I'm going to swim across it, right? So it was really very intimate. It was three years of running the, the plantations and then realizing that the best thing to do was to return the farm to the Chinese because we couldn't own the farm. We could only basically rent the farm. And that changed the model completely. We returned the assets of the packing house back to the bank. So we reduced the liability. And we became asset-like by becoming a brand. So we took the brand 
and we grew the brand to become almost like the doll of Asia. And this is really where I started getting to buying produce from all over the world and then going into the same distribution channel in Southeast Asia and then making sure that we were able to basically supply the fresh produce that Claire was talking about, like a day-to-day premise, because temperate products are coming in to a tropical area. So there's not much of an intra-trade going on. It really is about imports and exports that is going only to specific countries. Most of it are imports and most of it are small produce sellers. You know, it's this marketplace that never sort of meet and everybody was very uncertain. And that's kind of the business we grew and became a brand. And that sort of like leads me to realize after 10 years of running this operation that I really need to change this business model. And I basically step out away from the day-to-day of running Sun Moon and, and started Dimuto. So I hope that gives you a bit of a background. That for sure is an interesting background. I love hearing people's stories. Actually, there are so many times I personally am sitting around a table and I think to myself, what are the series of decisions that I've made that brought me to this table with these people right now? And this year example kind of is very representative of that. I'm curious, what specific challenges did you face while you were working with all of the apples that brought you to the point of saying, you know what, here's the gaps that exist today that I'm going to focus my priorities on at Demoto? Yeah, that's a great question. So what happened was when you grow your own fruits, which a lot of growers like do, and then when you sell your fruits, and then when you have claims on the other side, who do you blame? You take a year to grow the fruit, then you take a year to keep the fruits and store the fruits and pack the fruits, and then you sell it. And then next month, someone complains about it. Now, where did the fault lie? Right. It's, it's all my own internal stuff. And it was a pan and paper industry. So, so again, you know, that really was one where you could really see the internal. So even if you control everything yourself, you couldn't really control either. Right. So that leads to the next problem. And we started growing, buying produce from other places, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, Netherlands. Right. And then you start bringing it to our markets. The same problem happens. But of course, you can just blame the person who shipped to you. And that's where the ding dong started, right? That messy middle that I like to use. That's all this thing that's happening that people just, you know, you blame me and I blame you. And and then next thing you know, I don't get the amount that I'm supposed to be collecting. And then this is not a pleasant thing. And this so-called trust breaks down. So that's sort of how it all leads to this situation. And were you feeling outside pressure or at, at other points in the chain? What kinds of conversations were you having further down the chain, independent of you know the other growers that you were partnering with? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question too. You know, because the truth of the matter is that when you, for example, take avocados, I mean, let me give you a live example. When when China started importing avocados, our company was probably one of the first to bring in avocados in a large scale. And when I mean large, it's twenty million dollars in a year. That's not a small volume. So twenty million means there wasn't one supply that could give us that amount of avocados, and therefore we had to buy from many different sources. And coming through that period, you realize that when it was shipped from what's happening in Mexico, everything was basically said to be okay. And then when you open it, it's like a jack in the box and then things aren't what they are. And even if they cleared whatever we cleared through the customs and go through our distribution channels in the port areas, and then when you start going inland, and then you have a whole fiasco going on there because you have no visibility what happens inland and inland distribution. And don't forget, when you bring in with 28 DCs, with 200 substations that you do distributions again, it is a mess because you completely have no visibility of what's going on. So that's really the external pressure of realizing that when you then do the numbers, like what you mentioned earlier, Candice, that you end the year and you're happy with what you ended your year with. I ended with a disastrous year, right? I lost millions of dollars not knowing exactly why I lost millions when I thought I was be like the hero of the day, making avocados something that the Chinese are going to be eating. 
Yeah, so that's sort of like really where the wake-up call is, right? That the supply chain is very, very different for many of the people, especially for your audience, right? Because when you're dealing in a domestic situation like the U.S., it's been around for a while and it's homogeneous. We're talking about something like when you go into Southeast Asia or even China, it is broken into regions with very, very infant nascent industry of cold chain and supply chain. So these are the kinds that pops up to you loud and clear where it may seem a bit strange for someone who's been doing this distribution for like the past 30 years in the U.S., so that's kind of like the context that I thought it would be happy to put in for the audience. You know, you mentioned from a sourcing standpoint, you go to other parts of the world, Latin America, and you bring things in. And thinking about this messy middle, and Claire and I had had a conversation about this when we were chatting a little bit about you, you know, that you're interested in growing uh, geographically as well. So when you talk about the messy middle and some of the services you're providing in terms of the supply chain definition, for instance, if you were to go to the U.S. market, would you look at it, the supply chain a little differently or is it all the same? So for instance, I know that whenever the conversation comes up and we were also involved in another conversation on a related matter today about exporting is, and when I exported and it's been several, I've been out of the game for a few years, you know, I had a letter of credit and I just sent it off to the airport or, you know, sent it to the port. And as long as I had that letter of credit, I was happy. And as long as the FIDO accompanied it, I didn't worry about it as much. Sounds like I was pretty naive or is <laughs> the, uh, as you move to different parts of the world, will you look at the business a little differently? Or all oh, the same? Is the, does the no, middle no, just remain messy all the time? No, no. I think the first point that you mentioned is just really, first of all, a lot of the importers in Southeast Asia, we do not use LCs, right? So basically, we're talking about companies that's working, even for myself, we're talking about $100 million business. We do not use LC. It's all based on an open account, right? So you know, because the bank charges LC fees, but when the banks deal with us, they actually want us to put the whole deposit amount of the whole LCs as well. So it, it doesn't make sense for us to pay the bank on top of what we already give the deposits to the bank. So that's why we operate mostly on open accounts throughout Southeast Asia. So a lot of this situation, especially when it's competition, you're selling apples and oranges into a very competitive market. LCs may not even be some ways that if you mention LCs, we're not going to basically deal with you. So that's one of the difficulties compared to like in the US where the system is clearer, there's export credits, and there's insurance, right? Things are a lot stable. But the minute you get into Asia, first of all, you don't have LCs, right? So it's an open account. So this is sort of like the fundamental basis of why Demoto was formed, that when we look at the movement of goods, it always is two sides of the same coin. That means you need to basically track the movement of the goods and then the movement of the money backwards. So for the exporters, it's to ensure that they get the money that they're supposed to be due. And for the importers, it is the quality of the goods that they bought. And this jack-in-the-box kind of mindset has been going on for so long that you don't really know what you get until you basically receive it. And then you don't really know whether you get paid for what you sent until you get the money in the bank. And, and that's sort of like what has perpetuated for quite a long while. And that's where I realized that if you could change the business using technology, and this is what Imoto is all about, where we put uh, the technology, first of all, we look at the supply chain in a different way from most people. When we talk about the supply chain, we do not talk about it from linearly from front to fork immediately. We broke the supply chain into two parts. The part where the messy middle is between the supplier or the grower packer to the importer or the retailer. That's the middle part that basically contains the most information. And from here, once you get that information into the platform, you are now able to go backwards or go forward. So if I say backwards, it means from the grower packer into the farm and then from the importer retailer to the consumer. So by breaking up the supply chain this way, we were able to now break into the key information that's required, right? And getting the key actors involved. Because as you know, it all starts with a purchase order. The purchase order from your customers tells you the specification, what is required, what are the documentations required, and the specification required. You now then pack according to that, and then you basically did a great job by sending it over and you receive your LCs. But the truth of the matter is, 
not everybody would know exactly what was packed until it's received. So imagine now, if you have that pure specification clearly spelled out, we have an IoT system, a device that can capture that pack before it's even closed. And you use AI to basically now see the fruits, like for example, the number of counts, the size, the color, the blemish, and most importantly, the ripeness. So like you said earlier, when you deal with the US, is it different when you deal with, say, Latin America or, say, Ghana? In some, it is a bit different where the specification may not be similar. And I'll give you an example. When we deal with the US, one of the biggest suppliers of citrus, they have the biggest packing lines. Now, what happens is when they pack the box, whether this box goes down to LA, you know, from Bakersfield, or whether it's going across to Thailand, it's the same packing line. And this is where the problem goes, right? So this is where the details where we talk about the fit for travel. That means do you have the ability to then have that transit time plus the shelf lifetime factored in right before the box is closed. And this is why Dimuto created this thing called a passport, right? A product passport that contains those details. So you have an IoT that you put all that data into the cloud. And then dealing with the cloud in itself, we have to deal with 3G, 4G, no G, you know, in the back house, <laughs> if you can imagine. And then you, you just have to put that information into the blockchain again. And I'll explain a, a bit on the blockchain. And then you put AI on this so that you don't have a lot of people looking through all these documents and use a lot of the machine to learn what this document is supposed to look and what this specification that you asked for is supposed to be. So that sort of like set the context. This is amazing. I want to know, can you go back to size, shape, color, blemishes? What is that technology and why, I guess, is that level of detail to whom? <laughs> Great. I, I love to tell the joke. Right? The, the joke is that the Mexican eye and the Chinese eye see green differently. Mm. Right? So that, that lies in itself, right? So when you talk about green, well, it's not green enough or it's not red enough or it's not, you know, like when you do cherries and cherries becomes really dark and you like dark cherries that's almost almost black if you think about it yeah. and then they go oh it's not black enough or it's not red enough right so this is where we want to take that you've got valuers and you've got valuation companies coming in and you know helping you with you know, all the systems that we've been working right but unfortunately remember the truth of the matter is that the person importing is paying for that valuer the person who's exporting is paying for the valuer and truth be told the influence of who pays you is able to sort of like gives you that 5% margin of error or tolerance or 10% tolerance because that's where the claim comes in. That's where the contract states. So that in itself, when, when you take away this kind of you know nuances that has actually been the one that played this kind of trust factor, then you put AI onto it, right? Where you sit your green, you know, it's this standard of green, right? What kind of shell colors do we talk about? And then what kind of blemish that you have? Now, it's not perfect vision. So I, I would first to admit that in the land of the blind, I've just became the one-eyed king, right? But it's definitely not one where it's perfect vision for this. You know, Gary and Claire as well, I'm curious, you know, Gary, you've brought up blockchain a couple of times. And uh, I mean, obviously we're familiar with the term, but it doesn't seem like it's really gotten traction yet in our industry and in the U.S. Are your, uh, for lack of a better phrase, market conditions, just, you know, as you were talking about just trading practices. So as you try and bring some definition to them, is that going to be blockchain's best and initial opportunity? as yeah. it relates to the fresh produce industry, that it's really going to be more of a global phenomenon, perhaps? Well, I'll put this before Claire puts her, her take on an investment perspective. Mine's very practical. First of all, blockchain in anything is a fancy Excel spreadsheet. But what it really does is that from an operational perspective, it basically helps us to put our information in an area where we do not have to open our ERP systems. As you can imagine, when you have to basically have a dispute situation, you have to then pass the data to the other side. And usually you have to open up the data to the other side, right? To basically get all this information and pull it all out. 
Now, what we have used the blockchain fundamentally is, is really one where you now have an Excel spreadsheet that's on the internet that allows you to put all that information that you say that you did. For example, what is it that you packed? What sizes? What was the quality? What was the document? What was the items that were shipped? All these things now allows you to put almost like a timestamp manner of what actually were the actions that was done. So the, the blockchain in itself allows you to not error-proof the trade where everything is going to be the next best thing to slice bread and everything is going to be hunky-dory. But the truth of the matter, it allows us to timestamp the activity in such a way where when you upload a wrong document, that document is not going to disappear. It's going to basically be one where the mistake is made and then where the mistake is corrected, a new time and the person who did that correction is being done. So if you think about the blockchain in, in that application, then we have to again put it in a context. And you mentioned something that's not very big in the US. Don't forget, US export of fresh produce is only 3% of the total export market, right? It's actually very minute. Corn contributes the biggest component of export. But 50% of your imports are actually fresh produce. But the truth of the matter is the US is a buyer. Therefore, you can say anything you want and the elected Americans have to accept it, right? So that's a very comfortable position to be in. Now, in Singapore, 90% of what we're eating is imported. And in Southeast Asia, that means everything that's temperate, grapes, avocados, apples, orange, citrus, everything comes in, again, imported in Southeast Asia. So that requirement to exchange information is definitely a lot more intense versus like in the US, where I always hear the same issues like, Gary, when there's a problem, I'll just hop on the plane, I'm in Arizona. You know, if there's a really a problem, I'll be in Idaho. Sure, you can always be there in the US, but try going from Singapore to KL, which is less an hour away on a plane, that things don't work that way. So this is where the application of the technology is really like the lay of the land, you know, because where the terrain at the US, you know, growers are operating in, it's very different from the lay of the land of the environment that we're operating in. And that's probably why I would say that blockchain has a different application. And I think the usage, it's going to be one where it's going to be beneficial for both sides, right? I think for US companies trying to export to Asia or even vice versa, that the single truth that Claire mentioned is now able to then be put into a platform where we do not have to start opening up and sending meals and you know different pieces of WhatsApp or WeChat or whatever telegram that you use to put that information together. Well, well, it sounds like if you were to give any advice to US exporters and the Western growers, you know, the group we work on uh, fresh fruits, vegetables, and nuts, and they are sending things around the world. It sounds like you're uh, recommending get conversant with blockchain because it's coming. So, uh, yeah, I would like to say that. And I think it's like what Claire mentioned earlier. First of all, uh, technology, the way we made it is affordable. I mean, we use it as a salesforce.com model where you basically pay less than $1,000 to get onto the blockchain. And then if you do have a machine requirement, you have that vision device that we built. It's a rental version. It's almost like Xerox rather than buying a photocopier. You basically rent it. And then basically managing this whole thing is almost like a Kimberly Clark version where you use as much toilet paper as you basically pay for what you use. So it's very, very cost-effective because everybody wants traceability, but nobody wants to pay for it. That's sort of like the premise that we built it. But really, the truth of the matter is that if you think of the cost savings, the waste that we do, the inefficiencies that we gain, that basically, if you think about it from a retailer perspective, their margins are closer to 20 to 30% in the fruits that they buy. And the reason being is that they have to throw away a lot of the things. And that's why they only make 1% a year. Right. So if we could save one, two percent in the front side of the game because whatever we sent is not correct. Now you take away a lot of this and you that kind of savings is, is gonna basically be good for everyone. And this whole sustainability where now the platform that we have is able to also add that element because we can now count the carbon footprint that was sent from the West Coast into Asia, for example, you know, the, the shipment, that whole thing, whether it's a diesel truck doing a distribution and what was packed, all that data now is being come out of water use, the water plant. 
So well, why we have primary data now is, is, is to be able to do a lot of the sustainability part about it. On top of it, we use that same data to now access the credibility of the supplier so that we can actually now do financing because we see the primary data. And of course, for the importers, if they need financing to pay the suppliers so that they pay seven days on arrival, where they then get 60 days of payment terms from their supermarket. And this is where we're sort of like closing that finance gap uh, that's required with primary data and using a lot of artificial intelligence to make sure that we're able to get one, the default score. The other one is the credit score. So this kind of uh, trade help AI that I like to use the term is really the kind of thing that Claire has looked into with Jimuto and what we've been doing. Okay, Claire, what, what, what say you on blockchain? Well, blockchain, you know, is really an important variable because it's that one single version of truth that's secure, that's a, a ledger that everybody can agree to. That is, so it needs to be there, but it's not the value proposition for each constituent. So, you know, what Gary has built is the value proposition using algorithms and AI and other, you know, his gantry, his DACI system, you know, so all these different components, those are the value propositions that facilitate the value proposition of the gathering of the information and what to do with the information for each of the constituents. And I think sometimes it gets confusing. People hear blockchain, they think, oh, it's, you know, that's the solution. It's not. It's the core bit that needs to be there. Absolutely. But it's all the surrounding innovation that's going to make it meaningful for each of those different players in the value chain. And it's also it has been historically got a bit of a bad rap, just the term in produce and retail, because it's been you know an imposed solution by some large retailers around particular categories. And it hasn't been blockchain, it's been blockchain-based innovation that has been, but you know, unless that leafy vegetable grower can see or any produce grower can see what it's going to mean for them in regards to all the things that Gary just eloquently subscribed, which you know caused them to have a very small profit at the end of the year because of mostly not problems caused by themselves. But somebody's got to absorb it. Retailers are belly aching because, you know, somebody's got to absorb it. it. It came to them this way. The consumer's belly aching because somebody's got to absorb the cost. You know, if it can be apportioned properly or avoided altogether by, you know, eliminating a trillion dollars worth of food waste, you know, or even just a fraction of it, you know, it's money well spent. But and again, it's about acceptability. Another barrier to entry for any of these solutions have been a high cost to entry. And what Gary's, what DeMuto is providing is a low cost of entry. Just so many good points. I think that you summarized the blockchain challenges so beautifully, Claire. I would like to kind of, as we start thinking about wrapping up, hear more about, you know, in the next three to five years, what's next for Demoto? What's the next focus areas? Any potential partnerships? Like, how are you looking at the business expansion and the, you know, the vision forward? Thank you. That's a great question, Ken, as well. The next few years is really, you know, we spend a couple of years building the technology, right? I'm glad to see the applications because a lot of the time we've been spending was to make sure that it worked, right? Because basically the, the data collection is, is fundamentally the, the use is, is really the, the most important thing. So the next stage for our extension is we now have an e-marketplace, as what Claire mentioned. So the marketplace allows you to have buyers and sellers to now come to a, almost like a stock exchange with a clearinghouse ability to see what you're supposed to be buying and what you're supposed to be receiving. So I like to use the term, it's like an Alibaba on steroids. So it's one where you really know what you're buying and, and basically the traceability and trustability, especially in, in our kind of area, it's one where you now have buyers that has been around. And then for them, you know, to get on as a vendor into the retailers, it usually takes a very long process. And as you know now, it's something that we need to cut short. How do you then get vendors on board? How do you get suppliers on board? So this is really where the marketplace really hopes to change the game. And happy to see that we've got some very good news coming about some regional retailers coming on board and doing this in a bigger way to really apply the technology. And then this would then influence their vendors to have to use a system like this. Because like what Claire says, it clearly can cut down a lot of that waste 
right? Whether is it monetarily or whether is it literally on a food waste perspective. So that's one area that we've been very focused on to get more supply into this. The next area that we're definitely going to grow is on trade finance, right? Because trade financing is really one big headache. Once we solve the problem of the messy middle and the quality issues, then we want to make sure that, you know, the working capital, right, and interest costs, the environment that we're talking about, the inflation costs, everyone is really feeling the palliate. Like who is really paying? It's really the consumer on top of the one suffering is the growers. So, so this inequality that we're seeing can actually be sort of like ease if, if we could basically make sure that the wallets, that the digital wallets especially, it's able to be creating using that kind of e-financing, more like a fintech play, which is an area that I'm more familiar with as well. Right. To add that act-tech play with a fintech play to ensure that the movement of goods and movement of money really is seamless and frictionless. And I think that's really where the next goal for us to be. It, it should be enjoyable as my team likes to use it. Right, Trading should be enjoyable, but really good for everyone. But right now it is such a pain. So let's let's take away that nightmare. So when I, when I built Imuto, I always made a joke that I never built a dream solution. All I did was to get rid of a nightmare. And, and that was what <laughs> they think that we're going to be doing. I like that. I have a question about talent. I'm so curious, what are the people, what's the bulk of people and talent and skills that you're looking for within your organization? And who are you recruiting for? I'm, you know, the oh, That's such people. a great question, Kedis. Thank you so much for asking the question. To be told that the people in Dimuto are young, fresh graduates, people who are young, inspirational, they want to change the world. And they may not understand the produce industry. And that's kind of like the reason why they all were hired. We now have about 15, 20 people from all different parts of the world coming together. A part of them, of course, is Singapore. And they are not from our industry. And I literally wanted that kind of a background because a lot of the times we like to put what we've been doing, you know, forth, right? So I bring the average age a lot, right? But the people and talent that we have, people who want to make change, people who really want to think that this world can definitely be a better place if we could put some technology into that. And that kind of team, if you come over to the office, you, you will see the stark difference of the average age, right? It's really low without me around. When I come in, that average is <laughs> he's, real, he's really young at heart. And by the way, I made a mistake. I said a, a billion dollars worth of food waste. It's a billion tons. I so I didn't want any of your listeners to point no, no. you out later. I, I think you would have gotten away. Waste. I think you would have gotten away with it without telling on yourself. You know, Gary, I was going to tell you, Candace and I have a deal. She gets to ask all the great questions, so she's she's done, she's done a she's done a good job of that. And Clary stole my line. I was like. Hey, Gary, does young at heart count? Because I, I can't qualify as young anymore. But, uh, <laughs> Definitely. We all are. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully young at heart. As we kind of finish up, and I'm kind of intrigued by this. So, you know, you obviously, I love your saying, gee, I thought I made millions and I lost it. Instead, I lost. You know, so that yep. issue of keeping score is pretty important. But, you know, from a supply chain standpoint, you know, you're heading towards the future. Are there any practical structural things that you have to think about? For instance, in our neck of the woods, we can't find enough truck drivers or we can't get the containers through the ports fast enough. Are there some practical things? And then, and then, you know, depending upon what network you listen to when it comes to the supply chain, you know, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Yeah. Uh, when do we, you know, and I, I understand this is a more difficult question than it used to be, but when do we get to normal or are you creating normal with the platform? But even behind the line, though, there's, there's just some yeah. practical considerations. What are those for you? That is, you kept the best question for last, I guess. <laughs> That's a great question. So let me put that context in, especially in Asia. For example, not finding truck drivers is one, right? It's, it's a big problem. But imagine not finding enough truck drivers. And when you do find them, you have to go through a maze of traffic jams or roads that are small or not even proper roads, right? So you compound that issues a couple of times, right? And then when you say parts that do not clear documents, right? What happens when your pot is even close, right? You can't even get anywhere near that. 
And so the, the Asia's problem is compounded a couple of times and intensity is why that drove me to, to create this company because the truth be told, I mean, to be as difficult as the US may seem to many of you is not as bad if you think about it in, in the region that we have to operate because every single customer is different. So I, I like the question because will we ever get back to a normal? Yeah, some form of normalcy, but remember the normal that you know and the normal that I know and the Indonesians and the Thais and the Filipinos and the Vietnamese and the Southern Chinese and the Middle Chinese or the Middle Easterns, their normal is very different. So this is the kind of experience that I've actually gained through the years that I know what is normal as best as I know in the region as distributed. Then we use this platform to capture that normalcy and then put some form of standards into it rather than wait for governments and regulations trying to tell you what their standards are and then trying to apply standards that may not be applicable. So in, in terms of where well, I kind of like to think that because the constants, it's changed, that the platform needs to ensure that when you say the document has changed, then there must be a way to keep that data to show what is that change. And then we now share that information so that everybody could see the necessary steps to enter this market accordingly. And, and this was sort of like the missing data. And if we think about growers, right, you probably know the same feeling that I did, right? When we grow, one season ended, we pack up everything, everything is out the door. Now we can have a beer and sit down by the porch, right? That's sort of it. And then you ask about the data of the last season, nobody really remembers, right? But imagine now that that is built over time. And this is now shared to a level where, you know, importers get to learn, especially when what's on the other side. And I, I think that's where we can head towards a more permanent normalcy. I, I think that's really where we're heading to it. Candice, do you have any other questions? One kind of occurs to me because I remember my last trip when I was in Japan and, you know, I used to export over there. I, I was a smaller grower shipper, but Tokyo was a big market. And so the importer I was dealing with traveled all, all over, you know, and he was talking about where his deals were. And then all of a sudden he started talking about Thailand. And I kind of listened. I go, really? They grow lettuce in Thailand? Uh, yeah. What country, if, you know, th think about our neck of the woods. What country would, maybe this isn't fair, but you can contextualize it however you want. What country would surprise us? You know, like I was surprised by Thailand, you know. In, in Indonesia? Yeah, in the region. Indonesia would be uh, uh, something that you'd be surprised. It's an archipelago, right? So that's that, that in itself. How do you move things around islands from islands to islands, right? And one of the islands, uh, Java, for example, on one end is one of the biggest cities, and the other end of the island is the other biggest city, and there's no real highway across it, right? And then you, you got certain regulations, for example, in the US, you can bring your apples through to the main city of capital, Jakarta. But if you are bringing apples from China, you have to ship it down to the second largest city in Surabaya, and then you pull that apple back into the main city again, right? So an apple from China will probably cost equally as much as an apple from the US, right? So which in the past, it would not have been. So when, when you talk about what shocked you, well, I, I think that's a lot. When you go to Vietnam, Philippines, Laos, Cambodia, even China inside, right? Inside of China, it's very different. Even in the Middle East, right? So Japan and Korea for us is like our heaven. It's a very, very mature market. We love that market. And then we're bringing things from Korea and Japan out as well into our market. So I guess long and short of it is this years of, of seeing the, the nightmare, you know, it's, it's like my, my daughter's is, is in Halloween, Halloween nights in Universal Studio, and they are celebrating it because it's like, you know, it's the time of the year. Can you imagine I've been living a Halloween night for, for 10 years? And that's the kind of thing that surprises me. <laughs> Well, Candace can relate to Halloween night because she's, I have to do it from a grandparent's standpoint. I'm starting to see all the candy come into the house. So uh, <laughs> Candace, I, what else do you I have? I can't postpone it any longer Every because the John grocery stores have Halloween stuff out. So you can only keep the kids at bay for so long. <laughs> uh, that's right. I'm starting to notice a lot of uh, Halloween lights uh, before the Christmas lights. So uh, Halloween's yeah. on the move. So Gary and Claire, any, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, 
you know, when when occasionally I give a talk or two, I, you get off stage and go, gee, I wish I had said. So why don't we close with, gee, I wish I had said, or hey, you, and make sure you know this. So Gary, I'll let you go. And then Claire, I'll let you finish it up. Well, I guess for this is that thank you, first of all, the opportunity to speak to you know, the audience. And, and I hope that this will be a way to sort of like engage audiences to, to sort of like look at technology, not in one where we're trying to basically put in costs, but really one where a company like ours is really trying to put certain practical application of technology and be given a chance to sort of demonstrate it, right? I always like to say that we sort of like need to walk the walk, not just talk the walk and be able to show how this is actually be done. And I, I think this is definitely going to be one where it's going to be helpful. It's just a great way to exchange ideas. And if there are any questions from anyone in the audience, you know, please feel free to reach out. This is Gary Lowe, who is from Singapore. I did my studies in Singapore and in, in Harvard. So that's the Gary Lowe, not, not the other Gary Lowe. Yeah, no, yeah we, need to, we need to provide a little editorial, you know, on the LinkedIn Gary Lowe's. You want to make sure you get Singapore, not the Aggie from Texas. So <laughs> right. it's, it's that okay. Gary. So though, though the other one looked like a nice guy, but he's not our guy. <laughs> you are. So Blair, what do you got well, for actually, us as we it, finish it, up? Actually, thanks, Dennis. It actually something... Gary maybe could be even highlighted even more. I and mean, he's pretty humble, but Demudo is doing proof of concepts and customers all over this world. Although based in Singapore, Demudo is in South Africa, in the UK, in Latin America, across this region, and in the US. So I mean, there's he's got trials going on as well as paying customers. So which is we love to see from an investor perspective. So, um, you know, Demudo is a very globalized solution, unlike investments that we make in this region where they incrementally grow from the company that they're at the early stage, you know, whether they be in Vietnam or Indonesia or India, and then grow across the states and then into other countries. Gary has just been the big bang, you know, because he's got these relationships globally. So it was very easy for him to pick up a phone and talk to executives that he knows and put these proof of concepts in place so that the customers could see the demonstration of the technology and then adopt for utilization. And that has been what has been ex extremely exceptional from an early stage investment. And so I salute Demudo on doing that. And I hope that you'll put their website, which is demudo.io, a little bit different website. And you can always reach us at the Yield Lab. It's www.yieldlab.asia. Terrific. Well, listen, uh, we've really enjoyed our visit. You know, Candace, I, I don't know about you. I can just, best I can do is be young at heart. But if I was young <laughs> and aspirational, I think I'd be on Gary's doorstep trying to figure out how I could be an expat and work for him. So uh, it was great to hear the story of your company. Candice, anything from you? No, oh, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure and very best wishes for the rest of thank you. Yeah, thank no, you. So this, this has been fun. Candice, what do you say? Should we come back and do it again? Let's do it. Then. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back soon with another episode of Voices of the Valley. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast brought to you today by Reedley College. To learn more about Reedley College's Agriculture and Natural Resources Program and the courses offered in Ag Technology, Food Safety, and Plant Science, you can visit reedleycollege.edu.